0: Would it make life a lot easier if your law firm was able to generate new Hispanic clients on a regular basis effortlessly? Marketing to local Hispanic prospects may seem easy, especially in a state or a city that has a large Hispanic population. However, as you may have learned the hard way, success is far from guaranteed. Our Nanotone Media Turbo Express Hispanic Marketing webinar will show you how to create a profitable marketing strategy that will put you ahead of your competitors. And to ensure the content and strategy is highly relevant for your market, we are creating custom webinars for each state. Our first webinar will be for Arizona lawyers this coming Thursday, February 4th at 1pm Mountain Standard Time. So if you're new to Hispanic marketing or want to take your existing strategy to the next level, grab your spot now by following the link in the episode notes. See you there. January 2021 will forever be marked for the events that took place on social media. From the Twitter bans to the Facebook plots to the Redditors' rise. And all along, law firms' ads have been in the midst of all of this. But not for much longer. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we are all in for ad placement control. Our podcast, Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Grace, it's February, our first episode this month. Can you believe that January is already behind us?
1: It just doesn't even feel like it. The month went by so fast.
0: <laughs> what a month, right? What a month. Yeah. And what an ending to the month. I mean, GameStop, Grace, come on. <laughs> the right? Reddit
1: Revolt. They're calling it the Reddit Revolt.
0: <laughs> and, and fair enough. And fair enough, right? It really shook the stock market. It took it entirely by surprise, Grace. And you know what? In a way or another, as I was listening and learning more about it, it kind of gave me an additional perspective into the value and really why law firms are in such a privileged position to be able to have mass torts to, as a as a side investment, right? As right. a way to diversify their strategies. Because... It's not to say that there is no risk in the mastered world, but at the same time, it's more controlled, or at least it continues to be more controlled. I may be taking this statement back three four years from now, <laughs> now that, that legislation is starting to change and allowing for non-lawyer-owned legal businesses to be established, as we're seeing in Arizona, in Utah, potentially in D.C., right? right. Maybe that whole panorama is going to change quite significantly, but Still now, a mass storage is kind of like a investment platform exclusively for lawyers. And you don't have these kind of situations going on, at least not like we've had hedge funds against Redditors, right? Right. <laughs> and that and right. And so that's in today's world, well, it's a privilege. What do you think?
1: No, I agree with you. i it's funny because we've always talked about it kind of being like the stock market, but Exactly like you said, it's more controlled environment because there's science behind it. There's, you know, all kinds of things that aren't going to be necessarily manipulated by the market. So
0: right, a hundred percent. And and I will say though, however, I do see. Some of the same behavior that we talk and mention about, well, what we just saw uh, happening, for instance, with GameStop, right, that a lot of people rushed into buying the stock. Well, that that also happens in mass right? It I does. mean, at some point, there's a frenzy. And so everybody goes into for Roundup, and everybody's after Zantac, and everybody's after Talk, And now leads that were before generated uh, or cases that could be generated for just a few hundred dollars are now into the... To the two, $3,000 per, per signed case. And so there is some sort of similarities going on in there. I think it's just a more controlled competitive environment.
1: Right. Yeah. Because, you know, early on, you have the risk. Later on, you have less risk, but it costs more money.
0: Yep. So that's just kind of like our quick take on GameStop last week. And so, Grace, let's move on into something else. Something that I like to call this quick segment the breaking news. Do you like that, Grace? I like it, I like it. (laughs) I know. So Grace and I have been uh, thinking that we should implement some sound effects just to make this a little bit less flat and more interesting. And because we do have access to some sound effects that we've always ignored and never quite used them, we're going to try to incorporate them. Please bear with us. We're just learning to distinguish between the different keys and colors and stuff. So we may launch the wrong sound effect for the wrong for a uh, particular moment, but uh, we promise we'll get better at it. So, Grace, back to the news. Facebook, and this just came out to me today, and it's, for me, revolutionary. So, Facebook are testing brand safety topic exclusions for advertisers. Now, Grace, why is this important? Remember, a few weeks ago, you and I were having a conversations about... Why advertisers are kind of being alienated from Facebook? It's because of the ad placement. It's because you don't know what's going to be before and after your ad. That's problematic because advertisers, many of them don't want to see their ads in between topics that, for instance, Facebook calls crime and tragedy, right? So now, with what I've just said now, what Facebook is testing is actually ad placement. For the first time, Facebook will allow advertisers to actually choose in which kind of topics their ads can show up. So you can actually decide to exclude certain topics. One of them, as I've just said, it could be crime and tragedy. You could also exclude yourselves from news and politics. You can also exclude yourself from social issues. And so that way, You can protect your brand from it being associated with issues and other aspects that you're not interested in taking part on or that you definitely don't want your law firm to be associated in. And so this is really, really powerful, Grace, because it gives a lot of control back to businesses. And what Facebook is trying to solve with this is limit the amount of impact that happens when all from the sudden the social platform the social media platforms explodes with content about social issues crime whatever it is that it could be happening in the world at that time and then user and then um, advertisers pull off their ads from there because of Facebook misinformation algorithm, you call it whatever it is, at least now Facebook is giving the option to advertisers to say, okay, wait, wait a second, you can still show your ads, but we will make sure that they're not showing around any of these topics that you have issues with, right? So I think this is very remarkable, Grace, and it's a great game changer for Facebook advertising. It
1: sure is. That's a massive change. I mean, to be able, it's that same idea with that YouTube video issue, right? Where all of a sudden you have your YouTube video and then, um, you know, what's playing after
0: it is something completely (laughs) irrelevant, right? But, but then, it, for instance, in, with everything that has to do with Google Ads, uh, YouTube including, uh, you have control over that, right? So if you're, if you're having that sort of problems, then you have to potentially better optimize your campaigns because you can control ad placement, you can control contents, you can be selective as to uh, which kind of platforms, which kind of content your ads are seen. And that's the beauty that Google has alri- o- always had uh, to it. But Facebook did not. And and just a few weeks ago, we were actually talking about that as being problematic. So now Facebook is addressing this, but it's not out there yet. It's being tested. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they care a lot about this. This has become a very, very top of agenda item for them. And so believe that it's very likely that we're going to learn and see this maybe coming into place within the next weeks or maybe a month or two. But I can certainly tell that there is a lot of interest in rolling this out, so that's terrific news. Grace, another thing which I'm not going to really dive into that much today because we have another topic that we need to get to is impact of local service ads in Google Ads. So <laughs> as I was, uh, yes, as I was going over news this week, I saw an article on Search Engine Journal and actually Search Engine Land, and it actually included. Some takes about the impact that uh, local service ads had had in Google Ads for lawyers, and uh, one of the contributors to the uh, article is Blue Shark Digital, and they're kind of like talking about how did lawyers who were advertising in both platforms, right, or they were not joining LSA ads, but uh, they were only doing Google Ads. So in well, what is considered? a sharp decline, right, in conversions and potentially an increase in cost per conversions. So it's been impactful, Grace, I'm not not gonna lie to you, I think it's really taken the Google advertising in English, particularly in English, right, I know, you know, you need to differentiate here, but Google advertising in English by storm. Because um, what I found interesting, I haven't seen it myself a lot, but it seems like in some in for some very high intent search queries, there is well they have a clear screenshot there in Philadelphia of car accident lawyer in Philadelphia being the search query and only uh, local search ads showing up as ads and completely skipping the traditional search ads grace and and that's um, as I've said I haven't seen that a lot most markets actually do the opposite, right? You get the traditional Google search ads and sometimes you see the LSA ads showing up. And sometimes the LSA ads only show when the search query is extremely specific. Right. But uh, yes, but long tail search terms do not trigger the uh, LSA ads. So it, it's kind of like, diff- we're getting different snapshots from different markets and the way that things have been registering for different law firms, it's, it, each one is its own story, but as a whole, it's fair to say that the impact is there, right? And so I think that it's worth 100% for law firms to add this to their mix and see what is it that they're getting out of it. Are they getting better performance from their normal Google Ads? Great. Are they not getting good performance from their normal from their Google Ads? Then it's time to optimize Google Ads. So. They can continue to compete against LSA and still be able to make good leads at a good ROI from their Google Ads campaigns. Because as I've said, what we are noticing here is that LSA, because it has such little you have so such little control over these campaigns, you cannot rely on them, right? Right. I can tell I can see and there are some markets where people are actually you know getting a, f- a good flow of leads and some of those leads are actually good. They can retain them. And so if you're in there and that's your scenario, that's great. But the bottom line is that as more attorneys are joining are joining the pool of LSA ads, then the number of leads needs to get distributed by a larger number of people who are interested in paying for them. And so we're seeing in big markets like Houston and such, like you're standing in line forever, right? (laughs) You're standing in line forever or you just have to beat ridiculously high, which then makes the campaign kind of like inefficient. So, Grace, um, that was just kind of like a quick L- LSA recap. This is a topic that we're probably going to be jumping in and out of for the next few months quite a bit. There's so much to say, and as I've said, it's not fair to say and put a flat-out rule to it as to it's not good, it's good, because it will depend by practice area and by market, but certainly it has it, it has quite a bit of limitations. So, Grace, I want to now shift to our next topic for the day, and I'm gonna try to hit something else in here. Hopefully it will be relevant. (laughs) No, (laughs) that's not quite what we were going for. Doesn't matter, Grace. Let's try anyhow and shift to our next topic, which is the difference between CMS, case management software, Mm -hmm lead management software, Mm -hmm. and CRM. That's right. Client Relationship Management. Client Relations Management. Yes. (laughs) Right? So, too many different softwares to analyze here, Grace. True, we've talked about those before in the past, but just give us a quick overview, what each one of those are, which one of those are necessary, and why are we even comparing them?
1: so the reason this topic even came up was because i actually had the last few weeks people have been asking me sort of questions about integrations and how things work how their case management works versus a crm versus lead management and just to give you i think what would be helpful is if i gave you examples sort of, of what each of those are or what they could be called and what you might have been used to seeing and From our industry, you know, Lead Docket is basically a lead management software. Whereas Zoho CRM is strictly a CRM. And then you have a case management software, which would be something like Smart Advocate or Filevine or those types of literally case management software where you manage the cases. So for me, those are the basic three
0: differences that I've seen. One manages the leads that are generated from your marketing efforts. Correct. The other one actually keeps record of these leads, right?
1: Of the relationship, right, of the clients. So as you're working the leads, the communications, everything. Correct.
0: Mm -hmm. But, But it's fair to say that the CRM will have the two pools, right? Those who are not just clients, but kind of like somewhere in your pipeline and your clients as well. But here we're focusing on the relationship side of things. Whereas when you bring in the case management component, that is specifically for the actual process of handling the case of those contacts in your CRM that that have actually become clients.
1: Correct. Exactly. And I think it would help if people can think of a lead management software sort of as a pre-CRM. And a CRM as a pre-case management software piece, that you then push your cases once they're clients, as you said, into your case management software, because that's a case.
0: Great. So, Grace, let's start with the beginning, right? Because I can see here that this clearly breaks into three stages in the client journey. And the first one is going to be, obviously, the lead management software, right? Because that's, that's where it all starts. Correct. So... You've mentioned Lead Docket, right? Uh, maybe some people are more familiar with other platforms, like for instance, CallRail, or maybe some people are actually using their CRMs also as a way to track the actual leads that are being generated through their different digital and offline marketing activities, even referrals, right? So anything can be tracked through this software. Now, Grace. Are there differentiation specifically between a CRM and a, because I've just said here, right, for instance, HubSpot can do a little bit of both. It could actually do your lead tracking in terms of tying up the marketing activities where the leads are coming from and then populating that into your CRM and you have it all kind of like consolidated. But when or what would be the instances in which you would have to use two different ones? Or why would you want to have two different platforms that do basically uh, similar things, but have some very strategic differentiations?
1: So I know it can be hard for a lot of law firms to think of themselves as a sales component, you know, or any type of sales that they do, but they do sales, right? So a CRM is generally meant for the relationship relationship that you've created after they've become a lead to now working down the the nurture or sales cycle to get them to be a client. So when you're speaking to these people, as a salesperson, quote unquote, whether you're the attorney or an intake professional, you care about closing that sale. And so when you manage a lead through the sales funnel, you're looking at that data as opposed to operations or someone in marketing who's looking at the data of the activities that it takes to get them to that point. So most of the time people don't think of lead management separate from a CRM because a CRM almost always has some components of lead management, right? It has to because you need to know where they are in the life cycle of your CRM for the relationship that you're trying to build.
0: Makes so sense. So Grace, yeah, it does. And I think it also explains why the recent acquisition from Lead Docket by Filebind, right? Right. Because at the end of the day, Filebind may be able to flex as a CRM and as a case management software, but it's still, you know, to be a holistic solution, needs to have an actual lead tracking component to it. And I think that's really what. Um, Lead Docket was going after, being able to really give granular information for to law firms as to what is currently generating their leads, where are they coming from, and where are in their journey. And then, by now being tied to FileVine, the transition from being a lead into being a client, into having an actual case, right, is consolidated into one single platform. And that's a great solution for those who actually want to use this software as as their case management, slash CRM, slash lead management software. But you don't necessarily have to go that route. You can actually have different softwares talking to each other. So how do you make that all integrate, Chris? What are the considerations that you need to have to make sure that you can actually get information from one platform to another platform to another platform so you don't have to reinvent the wheel because i know i I can tell you like if you were to tell me you need to now change your crm into a new one what a headache right what a headache i'm gonna 100 first consider what options do i have to integrate with another platform that can give me that missing component that i don't have okay so um What are the options? What are the considerations? And to your point, that's exactly
1: how you should consider it, right? What do you have right now in place? What do you have? What don't you have in place? And how can you make all of your systems speak to each other, right? Because particularly with everyone working remote nowadays, there was kind of a scramble to Uh, figure out how we're going to go from our standard old school of you know this system doesn't necessarily talk to this system there has to be double entry or import or this or that now everything has to be in the cloud and how does one system talk to the next so the considerations that need to be kept in mind are what data points right what information do you absolutely need to get from one system to the next Pair it down to the bare minimum of what information you actually need to work with in your case management software or from your lead to your CRM or from your CRM to your case management software. So any one of those points, you need to just know what information or data points that you're looking for. When I say data points, I'm just talking about something simple like their actual full name, their date of birth, potentially, you know, uh, some non... uh, Important information, not the social necessarily. You'll probably put that only in the case management software, but things like that, contact information. So those data points or those fields are the ones that you're going to need to integrate. Can you integrate them? Is there a capability of the different pieces of software that you are using currently to integrate? I'd say 99.9% of the time, yes. Okay, they do have options for integration. Most of these case management software out there like Clio, Filevine, they allow you to integrate with other pieces of software in the most basic way, which is what you need. So those are the considerations that you must have in your mind before you get into another piece of software that you might need. But you have to think about it. Do I need lead management? Should I use something like LeadDoc? Do I need a CRM because I want to do the whole relationship plus the lead management within it? Think about the things that you need for the campaigns that you run as a law firm. And those are the data points that you'll need to push into the case
0: management software.
1: And then you just work it as a case.
0: Right, Grace. And here is the thing, right? Because a lot of people may think, uh, well, having it all sitting on one single platform may be great. And, and let's be frank, it has a lot of conveniences. There is, but there's other elements that you need to take into consideration, right? Costs of licensing, okay? And so you may want to uh, explore, really, who needs access to what? Because you may realize that not your entire team needs access to all three platforms. Some team members may be only good having access to the lead tracking sort of uh, side of things, some of them to the CRM, some of them to the case management, right? And so by being able to segment that, that's actually gonna give you a great flexibility, A, of controlling costs, but security as well, right? Because you just don't want users to have access to everything and every single platform where they shouldn't. Uh, have so that's one component. Of course, right? Holistic platforms may have solu- may have built-in solutions like different user level uh, levels and things like that. But again, we're talking here in the scenario where you already have different platforms, or you're trying to bring something new. Well, now you can actually uh, think about your operations and who is actually going to be using what, and based on that. Um, make your decisions as to which platforms you're going to use. I think what you said, Grace, about software integration is spot on. Okay? It's the same thing. Do you actually need 100% of the data to be synced, or is it some very particular elements that you need to be fed backwards and forwards between one platform and the other? So that's obviously going to be important. And quite frankly, with applications like Zapier, it's just now more easy than ever to really connect apps that are even not integrated by default through API. You can do it through third party uh, applications that will allow you to trigger events by just simple formulas that if this happens here, this happens there, and there you go, right? right? It's a solution that gives you that essential communication between three or two or five different platforms, depending how many you use. It's not just limited to that. You can have CRM, but you can also have a lead tracking platform, and you can also have a marketing software platform separately, right? And we haven't even brought in the CRM, uh, sorry, the case management software to the picture. So there could be more. You don't necessarily have to limit yourself to use one, and that's it. But of course, what we are seeing, Grace, is that for the sake of user experience, consolidation is becoming the path, the trend. Those platforms who have been uh, in the business of case management are trying to obviously diversify their capabilities so that they can be more holistic and become a more kind of like the one-to-go solutions. So if you would ask me if I'm a new lawyer, if I'm just getting started, I would 100% start looking uh, at those options and see, can I afford them? Because at the end of the day, this may be good, right? I mean, one solution, one platform, one login, one screen, one browser uh, tab. This sounds like easy. So Grace, thank you so much. It's always great to revisit these platforms, terminologies, uh, solutions, because you've said it, we are still living in the cloud and we're probably going to be here forever. So yeah. we might as well, yep. So we might as well get better at keeping these platforms optimized, integrated, and maximizing their productivity through them.
1: Exactly. Maximizing
0: our productivity through them. Right. Hmm? Right. You saw what I did. I, there? I did.
1: I did. And I think it's super important to know what you said. At, you know, kind of partway through this conversation, licensing, right? Cost. It. It. That's that's one of the top reasons why people. Don't want to add more license to even the case management software, right? Because it gets expensive. So it gets. It's yeah. it's a super you know important consideration, and it should be probably at the top of yeah. when you're considering things, and then the data yeah. and so on and so on. But yes,
0: a hundred percent. Another thing here, another thing here, which a lot of people. I, I'm just gonna do that, Grace, and then leave. You know what? I'll do it. My takeaway number one. There we okay? go. How do you like that? I like it. My takeaway number one is be very mindful of the terms of your licensing. Why? Because what happens very frequently is that these platforms evolve and they're completely changed between uh, one year and the other year based on certain upgrades that they make, their entire pricing model, which would also change the actual number of allowed licenses, number of benefits or applications, whatever, that are actually embedded into your plan and program. And what will happen very frequently is that if you were a client with a, with a pre-existing license, I don't know if pre-existing is the right way of the right term, right? No, it's pre-existing.
1: You had them before they
0: were sold or changed their licensing structure. Exactly. What they'll do oftentimes is they'll grandfather your status. And many times you end up winning there because you're still paying, you know, your entry-level fee of whatever and so, but because you kind of got inherited to the new program that now has full more futures and whatever and whatnot, you know, you're you can get a lot of benefits still and not necessarily pay more. So right, but what they do sometimes there is they'll add one or two additional extra perks that they may want to make you reconsider and say, "Ah, but if I upgrade to this now, I will have access to that." Yes, you may, but now your license is potentially gonna double or triple. Maybe not on the first on the first batch of upgrades that you make, but then within six months with the, the new model as a whole, you're going to end up paying considerably more than you were paying before. So be very, very mindful not to get too distracted when these changes happen by the little shiny things because you may be able to still operate without them or find a solution somewhere else and get a super bang for your buck on keeping, retaining your grandfathered licensing. plan Yeah. For as long, for as long as you can operate that way.
1: A hundred percent, Liel. I have to tell you that exact same thing happened to us last year with base CRM. Base CRM was purchased by Zendesk Cell. They changed the licensing structure to double what we were paying. If I upgraded to have the new integrations that they made available to me, it would have cost me double. I left it where it was. I stayed at grandfathered into the base enterprise level, which is half the price without the integrations and that's okay because i have integrations with other parts and other components that saves me money without having to worry about the you know upgrading my license for the new shiny things
0: that's the way of doing it grace so
1: i guess i could take takeaway number two from you right now takeaway number two in my mind is think about the different components of your process. You have to know your process to do this. What is your process from the moment a client gets a, becomes aware of you to the moment that they become a client and everything in between? Do you need lead management software? Do you need a CRM? Can your case management software potentially do some of the things that you need from the lead management software? It could maybe, maybe it can't. In most cases, just so you know, case management software can do some of the things but the specific things that you need you need to define in a process first so that you can then determine what you should be purchasing if anything and what you should be integrating if anything what do you think leah
0: i like it grace i like it
1: so what do you think let's do takeaway number three here for me takeaway number three is kind of a takeaway from your first conversation about our little breaking news actually it's not even about crm or case management because i think we
0: we've pretty much GameStop? covered that yeah buy game stocks <laughs> no don't sell don't sell. <laughs> don't sell <laughs> don't sell the games it's actually about facebook don't sell. But yeah you're go- you're gonna ruin us all don't sell your GameStop stocks <laughs> you're gonna ruin the
1: hedge fund managers don't sell your game stock
0: <laughs> yeah no 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 um it's
1: actually about the facebook um now that facebook has this potential new beta, right? Where, take a look at-
0: Not even a be, not even a beta yet. Right, nothing You'll, available, yeah, right, I, right,
1: right, right. Start thinking about the different places that you don't want your stuff to show up. And take the opportunity to also go back and make sure that your display advertising is being done the way you think it should, that your ads aren't popping up where they shouldn't. Um, if they are, and you're using somebody, that's not Liel, obviously there's something wrong. (laughs) You need to use someone like Liel because (laughs) he will make sure that your advertising doesn't show up on the wrong place. But truthfully, you need to take a look at this stuff and you need to make sure that you are regularly checking, at the very least, regularly have somebody checking in your firm that you trust to make sure that your ads aren't coming up where they shouldn't and particularly with everything going on, guys, we all know this. There's so many crazy things going on in the world and all these uh, issues and problems, and you don't want your ad to pop up in an insensitive spot. It will just yeah. break you. It'll break the, the brand. It could break all kinds of things, and, and that's the last thing that you need in this day yeah. and age.
0: That's 100%, Grayson. I can tell you already a few things that potentially are going to happen here, right? Be- Facebook is potentially going to encourage For you to be flexible and allow them to decide where things are showing they'll tell you okay you want to show only for these topics or exclude these topics and they'll tell you you're gonna have a very limited reach you need to change something in what you're doing so um, expect that and the other thing is also don't necessarily overthink this too much i think at this point you know whether the ad, the ad placement or Facebook has been a trouble for your campaigns, or if it's actually been okay. And if it's actually been okay, well, you probably then don't want to necessarily, you know, jump into uh, this new segmentation of because you're probably not going to necessarily improve things. Uh, but of course, if you are amongst those law firms that has been bombarded with hate, Uh, comments and stuff. You probably need to look into that. And whilst you're waiting for all of this to take place, you should also be looking at your segmentation as well, right? Are you actually targeting the right people or are your ads are being consumed by a lot of people that really have no business seeing your ads? So, because that's many times, that's one of of the reasons that causes this whole whole antagonism is that uh, these people were uh, initially never they should have never uh been served your ad in the first place and that's the demo and that's the actual audience segmentation not necessarily tied to the to the ad placement itself but yes the the placement has a tremendous impact right you know it it just changes your mood what you're seeing on the screen what's actually popping in front of you and then you're seeing an ad and you and you cannot not say like you know these guys have no shame showing this type of ad you know showing their ads right next to something like this so you know a lot to think a lot of a lot to digest but at the same time is it worth it do you i mean are you going to go against what facebook is good at so no Great. No.
1: Yeah. You know, that's why I said look at the ecosystem. And I like that you always add a caveat to what I'm saying so that people do look at the ecosystem of what they're dealing with. It's not necessarily just the display advertising placement. It's the segmentation maybe. Maybe it's this. So, yes, people do know the information to a degree. But what, what I want them to pay attention to is to do pay attention to these little things. And it's always the time to look at what's going on with your advertising and just make sure that it's going the way you think it should <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's absolutely right grace and uh one last thing the creative work right don't blame it all on the platform is your creative work good enough yes to make the cut for facebook to want to show it yes. right Yes. so like for facebook to want to show it it'll show it but for users to actually engage with it in the way that you would want them to right. so grace what a great conversation. It's always fun. My favorite part of the week. You know, I said every single week. It's always great talking to you. So, I will do it again next week. Same time next week. <laughs> okay, let me press something else. I think I'll
1: Ooh. There we go, Grace.
0: Yes. <laughs> now we were now we have a relevant sound effect. All right, Grace. All the best. Have a great rest of your week. Thank we'll talk you, to you Leo. soon. Bye. Bye if you like our show make sure you subscribe tell your co-workers leave us a review and send us your questions at ask at podcast.com. we'll see you next week